when I'm getting ready for a competition, every single fight, I am scared. Strange I'm saying that, considering former world number one, European champion, multiple British champion. Every single fight I go into, whether it's a cage fight, the mm. stick fighting when I was doing it, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition at whatever stage, I'm scared. I'm always scared. And I'm not scared for my life. It's a strange feeling. I'm scared that I won't perform. I'm scared that I won't express myself at the level I'm supposed to express myself. Hello, this is Dr. Rowe, and you're listening to the Growth Tribes podcast with Dr. Rowe and Harms. This is the podcast where two completely different generations tackle the most challenging topics that people are facing today. Above all else, the main reason that we chose to develop and record these podcasts is because we both have a passion for helping people go through life transformation, for improving their lives, for taking their lives to a completely different level. And it's our hope, our genuine, sincere hope that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have gained at least one insight that you can take away and apply directly into your own life. Practical tools, voices that come in from both generations, the younger generation with tips and tools and the older generation with a sense of wisdom and experience so that you can help unlock your true potential to give the opportunity to make changes both on a personal, professional, financial and relationship level and to give you a chance to impact both your lives and the lives of other people around you. So we welcome you. Welcome to the Growth Tribes podcast. Hey, it's Harms here and welcome back to the Growth Tribes podcast. Today we are joined by a special guest who without a doubt by the end of this episode will leave you energized, fired up and give you some answers to some questions or challenges that you may have had personally, which is something we all need right now. We're in a weird, crazy time where the media feeding the machine is on you know full uh, full operation the way the media is currently feeding the machine and we are taking the bait that's the reality which is leading to a whole manner of reactions within uh, society within people within ourselves and that's just a matter of fact at the moment and it's at times like this where Ro and myself are reaching out to people who have a voice that cuts straight through that noise and in the same breath equips you with learnings, insights, tools, which you can use within your own life. So on that note, we wanted to bring in someone who has faced extreme challenges and adversity in their life and shown through them and who now coaches others through that process. That voice today is Corey Donahue. And hi, Ro, over to you to give the listeners an insight to who Corey is. <laughs> hi, everybody. We are in for a real treat today. Um, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us again and supporting us on the Growth Tribes. And I've been itching to get our guest on for a while. He's a very busy man. He's a father, and I'll come into that in a minute. Uh, and it needed to be the right timing. And oh, wow, what timing it is. This gentleman you're about to hear from is somebody I've known for, gosh, a decade and a half now. I met him at a time of his life when there were challenges going on. We developed a huge bond between the two of us. There was an instant connection. And 
over the years through all the personal development events that I've run, uh, the one person that I've reached out to immediately to see if they could come and join us, even if it's for an hour, for a half a day, for a day, for three days, whatever, is Corey, because he has an ability in the middle of a storm to create calmness and to support people through incredibly adverse circumstances. Corey is a father, uh, uh, you know, he's a son, he's a husband. In his early childhood, he grew up on the island of Grenada and uh, in the Caribbean and actually interesting enough moved to England with his family and I think like a lot of young lads got into sport very quickly and he has this incredible gift when it comes to football and at a young age of 10 years of old he literally and practicing and I still remember him telling the stories on a big stage event once where he was in, in, invited as a keynote speaker and he had the audience mesmerized as he explained just this discipline on a daily basis at such a young age and that led to him uh, moving into professional football so he's actually you know we're talking to a form of uh, professional footballer here today he has gone on and become a coach for the Football Association. He's actually a former London Football Association Coach of the Year. And by no means is that uh, a simple thing to achieve. There's only a handful of people at the level that he is actually at now in the United Kingdom as a football coach. He is literally in a handful of people at the level he teaches. Um, he's, he's a football tutor. He, he does safeguarding with children. Uh, Self-development coach, mentor, has been for many, many years. Uh, when people come to me uh, and I'm out speaking, I don't do a huge amount of coaching at the moment. And they all say to me, Dr. O, Dr. O, who can I turn to? And I say, there's just one person you need to speak to. And uh, I'll pass them directly through to him. And, you know, one of the other reasons I love Corey is because he has this mindset of a complete warrior but in modern day times, because his background as well is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a BKD, which is Jeet Kune Do. I think I've got that correct. Black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, black belt. And by the way, that takes years to achieve. He's a former number one European championship uh, holder for BJJ, British champion, founder of FBM Hub for Girls, which I think he's going to elaborate on. We have seriously a big star on stage today with us. So I'm going to hand you over to Corey to maybe elaborate on that. He's he's quite humble, so I might have to drag it out of him. Corey Donahue, it is a pleasure to have you here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to that thinking, wow, I need to meet this guy. Who's that? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and by the way, just Thank Corey, just, just to say that, um, you know, we're going to likely have a lot of jujitsu listeners on this tonight as well, because our audience, to give you an idea, our audience are ranging from 18, 19, 20 years of age, right through 30, 40, 50, 60 years of age. I know through the marketing, we'll certainly have people from BJJ listening as well. But we've got everyday people who are working uh, in jobs, starting businesses, couples, singles, people going through relationship breakups. We've got a whole range of listeners to give you some context. So you've got a voice to speak to over there. Brilliant. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Ro, Haminda. Thank you. It's a real honor and a real privilege for me. I really do feel honored that you are even spending your time with me to be on this interview. So thank you. Everybody listening, I hope you get something from this. I will just share my experiences. Hopefully you learn how my process was, what worked for me, and really start to question yourselves about what will work for you. Because one thing I learned a long time ago, and I just want to say this really quickly before we dive into the things I've done and the questions will come firing from 
Raha Minder, is that there is so much information out there, especially now with the digital age, even more so now. I remember, <laughs> and it's funny when I think about it, because Ro was talking about we've got listeners 18 to 20. I was like, wow, I can't remember that far back. And then we've got listeners 30, 35. I don't remember that far back either. I'm an old man, but I feel young at heart. It's really <laughs> strange even saying that. So just take this as, I want you to take this interview as more of a buffet. Instead of, all right, I must do this, I must do that, right, all right, he did it this way, so I'm going to do it that way. He did it this way, I'm going to do it that way. I'd rather you take it as, okay, this is a story of someone who, and I've never really, as strange as this sounds, and I know Rose is going to say something about it later on, I've never really seen myself as successful. And I know it sounds strange, thinking about all the things I've achieved, but I've just seen myself as someone who had to change something in his life. And there was no other route I ever went forward or I went back. There was no stationary position. There was nothing to say, okay, just stand still, because it wasn't an option. I either went forward or I went back, and that was it. And I had no intention of ever going back and staying in the position which I was. So, yeah, it's it's an honor to be here. So let's amazing, so, um, amazing. Go, take take us on a bit of a journey, Corey. Yeah. So so that's amazing. So what, what I wanted to jump in with, and thank you for laying that foundation and setting the scene for the listeners is, you know, the bio that Will just introduced, there's so much in there. And I know that we can talk about this for days, but I personally am curious about one, the black belt in jiu-jitsu, which is a hot topic at the moment online. So if you listen to other podcasts, if you watch YouTube videos, there's celebrities, um, the Joe public are all flocking to this sport. Um, so one question is, why is this sport so attractive? And maybe talk about some of your experiences in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and and maybe around the topic of gaining a black belt in that art form. Um, and then no, no doubt later we'll talk about the former, you becoming the former number one champion in that sport as well. And secondly, um, once, once we've entered into that space, is talk to us about the FBM hub for girls, because that's on the list. And I am not aware of that as a top topic, as a subject, and wasn't aware that you was doing something um, to support girls. And maybe you can have a conversation about that as well. So first, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Okay, brilliant. So funny enough, it's surprising and at the same time not surprising that I got involved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and the things I've achieved in it. Now, I say that because I started martial arts really late because most of my career, at least my early life, was just playing football, professional football, uh, different countries, and that was it. So when I stopped playing, I retired in 2000, 2001, and I took up martial arts at the age of 29. Most people take up martial arts from their young kids and their dad takes them along, whatever it was. But for me, it was I needed something to channel my energy and the fuel which I had, which I was used and which I was using to kind of excel my football career. But when that ended, I needed something else. And there's a reason why I didn't play football, it was my choice, but I needed something to fuel that. And martial arts for me was a natural progression, but it was also the challenge for me. It was scary. And there was two things with starting martial arts, and then I'll get onto how I got into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu afterwards, was that I wanted something that 
I knew I had which would enable me to protect my family and friends and myself, if needed. Because unfortunately, we live in a world, not everybody listens to reason. Not everybody is logical, not everybody is smart, and there are very many ignorant people. Unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. So I wanted to do something yeah, in order to protect myself and my family and my friends. And if there was, I was walking the street and there was someone I knew who was being bullied or being abused by someone, I could actually do something. So that was the main reason I started. And I started with um, Jeet Kune Do, which is Bruce Lee's art. And it's basically, it's not even an art per se. It's more of an art form because his concept was to have no way as way. So there's not one set style that beats everything. It doesn't exist. There is no one best art. Karate kills everything. No, it doesn't. Judo kills everything. No, it doesn't. Even Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu kills everything. No, it doesn't. So his concept was to amalgamate all the different styles from standing, from grappling, from kicking range, and just merge them into one art form, which is really an expression of yourself. Now, that's what led me to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I was very naive. I've been naive in many things in my life, and I think that's what really enabled me and helped me to maybe achieve the things I've achieved because my naivety was ridiculous. I was good when I started martial arts. I think just basically because of the athleticism which I had from football. So I found many things fairly easy. Kicking I found quite easy. Punching was easy for me. Knife defense and stick fighting was fairly easy. Not easy in the sense of the process to get good, but easy in that I understood the concepts of it. I understood, okay, this is an art form. This is what it's used for. This is the process. What is the way I can achieve this quicker? And I got that. And then when you get good with martial arts, and anyone who's done martial arts, if you're really being honest with yourself, the number one question should be this. Can I use this at a time when I need to use it? Anybody can be a black belt in a particular art. Yes, some take longer. But does that really mean you can use it when the time comes if you have to use it in the street? You could be a black belt and a 10-year-old beats you up in the street or pulls a knife and stabs you or someone shoots you. It doesn't matter what you know then. So for me, it was all of those arts I was really learning were all stand-up arts. None of them were to the ground. But I had this naivety like I'm so good with my hands and my feet and if I need to, I'll just pull out a stick. If they try to take me down, I'll just deal with them. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's nonsense. Because you live in this bubble and everybody lives in a bubble at some time. Why? Because when you're in a bubble, you have your comfort zone. And when you have a comfort zone, you feel good. And everybody wants to feel good. It's like when we talk about Laszlo's um, six needs. One of them is security or how Tony Robbins says it or how Rose says it, Dr. Rose says it. One of your needs is security and security comes from being familiar and comfortable in a particular situation. So... When I was doing all of these art, they were all stand-up arts, primarily stand-up arts. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was predominantly all ground stuff, all ground fighting. Same with wrestling. Yeah, you might start from your feet, yes, but it quickly goes to the ground. And there was loads of research I was doing saying eight out of ten fights in the street usually end up on the ground. Whether by default or on purpose, you might slip, you might fall, the person just rushes you, takes a few punches, whatever it is, if that's what happens, and you end up on the floor. And I had absolutely no idea what to do on the floor. Hmm. 
And if you're on the floor, it doesn't matter if you're a world champion in boxing. If you're on the floor, the mechanics, the energy, the leverage completely changes. So that's what led me to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu back in 2005, I think it was. 2004, 2005. And I tell you, my first session, I absolutely hated it. I hated it. Everyone doing Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu now, you might be like, what? I can't believe he's a black. I hated it. I hated a sweaty guy on top of me, smothering me. <laughs> I could smell his armpits, drip from his chin, dripping in my mouth. Yeah, I can even imagine it now. It was disgusting to me. <laughs> it was horrible. But the thing that was the most horrible for me was that I knew I was helpless. And then the fear kicks in because all your so-called expert boxing skills and your movement and your expertise with a skill counted for nothing when the person was on top of you and pinned you down and you knew at that moment you were helpless. And then at that moment, I started to think about, okay, am I going to stay living in this bubble and this comfort zone thinking, yeah, I'm a black belt as you can do and I can do this, do that if it ever happens. Or am I really going to stop and take life seriously and say, if this happened in the street and the person was good on the ground and they got me on the ground, would I be able to defend myself, number one? And would I be able to defend my family? And the honest truth was no. Mm. So that led me then on a quest, on a path to say, I need to add this discipline into my expression of what I considered martial arts to be. And that's really what it was. I hated it. The first month, two months, three months, I absolutely dreaded going to class. I, it's almost like... To a worse extent, though, the fear some people have in starting a new project or the fear some people have in saying, you know what, I'm in this job and I hate it. I hate the boss. I hate my co-workers and I dread every moment going into work, but I have to because I have bills to pay. And they're too scared to make the shift or make the change, whether progressively or whether straight away. That's and so was, true. Yeah. I just want to jump in actually, Corey, because as you were right, as you were speaking, I made a little note to myself and I've wrote, I've written these four different sections on a little diagram and I've written stand up. So Corey became a black belt and a stand up martial art. And I said, that's equal to being in a job. So somebody's in a job, they think everything's fine. They're buzzing along. No problem. Now you get into a fight. And you go to the ground, which is BJJ, you lose your job, you go to the ground, you don't have anything to back you up. So it's the same thing. It's the same mindset that somebody might have. Everything's good in life. But actually, we all get hit by something at some point. I need another sport. I need another art, in this case, another, another income or another support financially to give me that extra backup if I end up on the ground. There's such a similar metaphor here. It's powerful. That's amazing, well, because what I was looking at, I had on my piece of paper, this is a direct parallel to life in so many different ways. But I couldn't get past 100%. that point. So the way you've diagrammed that is, an, is, a, is a solid example. Um, and, and that makes so much sense. And no doubt we'll talk about the process uh, within this podcast, the process that you've gone through to allow that ability to change, the mindset involved in that. No doubt we'll, we'll dive into that as well. And before we move into that, I just wanted to ask you the question, which is about FBM hub can, for girls can, can i yeah. can i be cheeky and jump in here actually because yes, i i know a lot more about Corey's background than probably anyone else and, and uh, i know you know a little bit about it harms i think the fbm um hub 
is such a brilliant question. Let, can you hold on to that and bring that a little bit later into the podcast? Harms? Absolutely, I'm making Because I, yeah. I think it actually is the subject of a, a completely separate podcast as well, if you're happy to come back, Corey. But yeah, uh, Cor Corey, I think you need to take us back, because I don't think even Harminda knows this, take us back all the way through some of this journey and take us, if you don't mind sharing it, because it's a public space here, take us back to that bridge. And you know the bridge I'm talking about. Yeah, because okay. people need to understand how the you got to the point you're in because how did you get to this point Corey because otherwise they just think you're this guy that's bloody hell black belt Brazilian jiu-jitsu that, that takes gonna years kick to get people's to. asses just, former, just fun, former yeah. number one uh, European champion I mean okay so he's obviously just life's been easy it has not been easy for Corey so just just rewind before because we started at the end let's go back yeah. a bit okay <laughs> it's interesting because when I met you I was at, I, I won't even say rock bottom because I was lower than the rock. So people always say, oh, the worst place is being on the ground. No, I was lower than that. So I'll fast forward up until maybe the age of 10. So I'd already been in England a long time, living that part of my childhood. And it really kick-started when I got interested in football. I wasn't interested in football, not really. I played basketball. I liked cricket more, especially coming from the Caribbean. That was the sport I really like to do. Didn't think I was going to achieve anything in it. It's just I enjoy doing it. So I remember finding the interest in football and just loved the way you could express yourself with a ball at your feet. Really strange, really simple, very simplistic game. But I just loved that way to express yourself. And I remember going into school. And in those days, we had careers officers. I don't know if they have them anymore. But... Every child would go in that careers officer around, say, 10, 10 and a half. And they would sit you down and say, OK, so what do you want to do with your life? As a way for them, I suppose, to try and project what direction they would push us in and where we want to go. And I remember him asking me, and I was so excited, like, yes, I'm going to be a footballer. I just don't know what even drove that to that um, kind of ferocious necessity. But I just wanted to be a footballer. Not for the fame, not for the money, just I love that feeling. And I remember him asking me and I said, yeah, I want to be a professional footballer. And I wish you could see my face. And I remember his face even to this day. And he looked at me almost like disbelief, like he had just seen Black Jesus or something. Like my name was Michael <laughs> Jordan. And he looked at me and I, he said, what? And I said, I want to be a footballer. And he says... Come on, Corey, be realistic. And I remember then thinking, I don't know what you mean. He said, be realistic. At the rate you're going in the school at the moment, you're going to end up packing shelves in Lidl's. And I remember thinking, wow, packing shelves in Lidl's, not even Sainsbury's or Tesco's like <laughs> or Waitrose. Didn't even give me a proper supermarket. But Lidl's, not that Lidl's is any worse, but you, you kind of see the point of what I'm saying. And I remember being hit with it but something in me and I think it's just my nature drove me to say yeah you'll see and it mm. fueled me I was, don't get me wrong at that moment I was it was almost like someone had taken my heart out of my chest smashed it a few times and then put it back in and said all right let me see if you can restart that it completely at that moment destroyed me and then all these things start going in your head and it's really easy to blame the world for stuff. And we'll talk about that later on uh, and say, oh, it's because I'm black. 
oh, it's because I'm from the Caribbean. Oh, it's because I live in this neighborhood. Or oh, it's because of that. Or oh, it's because my mom doesn't know you or my dad doesn't. All this stuff goes in your mind and you escalate it worse than what it is. And I remember leaving that office and going home and I cried. And then I thought, no one's going to tell me what I can and can't achieve. But even though you say that, there's still this negative seed that's been planted by someone who's ignorant, who has no right to plant that seed. But in your mind, you think they know because that's the careers officer. That's an adult. That's someone who has so much more years experience in life than I do. So if he's saying that, oh, what if it's true? And I had nothing to back up my belief that I could achieve it with anything because no one I ever knew would ever become a footballer. Corey, just or achieved anything of any substantial standing. So that was really tough. That was really tough. But uh, to put this, Corey, to put this in on. context, help us understand what was going on at home. So was your mum supportive of this dream? Was it something you kept to yourself? Yeah. Did you did you lean on parents or people around you to go, come on, you can do this? Or was it more of a just your head was down? I don't know what the circumstances were. Yeah. I know some of it, but I don't know how much you feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, I appreciate that. Really good question, actually. My mum was only supportive of me going to school, period. Not football, not this nonsense stuff that you have your dreams about. And not because she wanted to kill that dream, but because she truly believed that coming to England in the situation and things were really bad there. Racism was rife. It's, that's just how it was. So her way to protect me was to say, you're going to focus on schooling. Yes, I don't mind you playing football as a hobby. Yes, I don't mind you going on the weekends and playing with your friends. But you're going to focus on schooling. And as a young 10, 10 and a half year old kid who only dreams of being a footballer, you don't see that side. You just think, oh my gosh, my mum's against me too. First the careers officer, now my mum. What the heck? And then when you start to think of things like that and you fuel that negativity, you now start going on a downward spiral. Mm. And, and on that... And, you know, the, I mean, this is a great subject as well whilst we're on this thing, because we're in around the table. We've got half Sri Lankan. We've got Harminder, whose background is what, Malaysia and where originally? Harms. So, so, so India, um, dad then moved to Malaysia, then dad moved over to this country. So I'm I'm uh, first generation here, but again, got backgrounds uh, in different ethnic backgrounds. Yeah. Right. We've got a call that's come over from the Caribbean. My father came over from Sri Lanka. And the one thing, and this important message for those of you that are listening right now, that may find yourself leaning on an excuse to blame your background, your heritage or your parents. And this is why I've kind of extracting this from Corey, is that um, the reality is that our parents brought us to a different environment or came to a different environment because they believe this is a space for us to learn and grow and maybe have the things that they didn't have. So it's not necessarily they're trying to control us. They're just trying to give us an opportunity that maybe they didn't have. And that's probably the main drive that your mum had at that moment in time, Corey. Yeah, 100%. And But I didn't see it at that time. I know now, as a person who's gone through life and experienced in different things, that she only had the best intentions for me with love and respect for me wanting to achieve something. But at that time, I didn't get it. And I didn't talk to my mum for a little while after that. But then I thought, okay, let me just focus on schooling. Did pretty good in school. And then just really focused all my energy and spare time on football. So for years, up until from the age of maybe 11 until 14 and a half, 15, there used to be... We moved around a lot. I was homeless for a little bit and stuff, but that's a, another story for another time. But 
there was a park and I can't remember the name of the park. It's on, I think, Hearst Avenue, if I remember rightly. And there was a school not too far from where we live called Aloysius School. It's still there now in North London in Archway. And they have their own private park, but it's like fence around it and wire at the top. And I used to wake up five o'clock between five and 5.15 every morning, Monday to Friday, get changed, go to the park. It was about, about a 30 minute walk from where we lived. Couldn't really afford the bus fare. So I would just walk. They didn't have a bicycle, couldn't afford that either. So I would walk, jump over the fence with one ball, and this ball I've actually found, it's really strange how I even found this ball, but again, that's another story. <laughs> and I would jump over with the ball, and literally for four and a half, five years, the brick wall was my best friend. I just trained nonstop. No one was training me, not until a lot later on. And I just focused incessantly, and I would watch games, and I would watch other players playing, and I would just go to the park and just practice, kicking the ball against the wall for hours seeing a tree, imagining it's a defender, trying to do a skill with a defender, getting past them, hitting a bin, trying to chip it in, just the most, most different ways I could think of to keep myself excited, but I knew I had to train. I was driven from the moment the um, careers officer said, you're never going to achieve it. I was driven, it was like, you watch. And that's, I suppose, the, the drive in me. A little bit of the stubbornness too, and that's just my nature, but it was, I want to prove it not only to you, but I have to prove it to myself. So I did that, whether it was raining, sunny, snowing, I would get up and I would do that and then jump back over the fence, go home, shower, change, and then go to school. And I would do that Monday to Friday. Most of the time, especially when it's cold, I was the only one. When it was summertime, on the weekends now, that's when everyone would come. So I would do that consistently. And the strange thing is this, and I liken this to business, and it's really interesting. I remember when saying it's likened to life, and same with you, Rob. For me, it was just life. And I say that because I had no idea how I was going to be a professional footballer. I didn't know any scouts. I had no contacts with any clubs. I didn't know any footballers who could help me and bring me to their club. I didn't even have a team for the first year and a bit. I had no idea. But there was a, a feeling, a drive inside of me that said, just do it. If you just do this part, the next step will show itself to you. How? I don't know. I didn't even know if that was even true, but something just said, just do it. If you do this bit, you'll see the next bit. And then when that bit happens, the next bit will follow. And I just trusted that feeling. Now, fast forward a little bit. When I was 15, because... Years before that, two years before that, I got into Islington. So in them days, you play for Islington County and then you play for District London and it was the best players from London would play for London and you play against other districts. And I made both of those. For me, it wasn't enough. Most people might say, oh, wow, you achieved that on your own, no help. But it was, so what? I made District and County, big deal. And then when I was 15, our manager at the time, a guy called Bill Hollinshaw, and I'll never forget this, he was he had contacts with Arsenal at the time, Arsenal Football Club. And he had spoken to me and they had come to watch me a couple of times, whether two or three or four, I don't know how the process actually worked. And I remember he called my mum. And you can, I want you to kind of picture this. A kid coming from the Caribbean had a dream of being a footballer from the age of 10, 10 and a half. It was really late. Most kids start from four, five, six. Somehow I just 
had a feeling for it. And your one dream is to be a footballer. And your one dream was being thrown away by a careers officer when you're 10 and a half saying you're never going to make it. And at 15, you get the opportunity to play for arguably one of the best, biggest and best clubs in uh, England. And he called my mum and he said, I really believe that your future, your son has a future in football. And I was there because I was listening to the call. And he was talking to her and they were going back as a forward. He says the education will be sorted out and we will look after him. But I believe he has a big future. And you know what my mum said? She said no. Oh, my, oh. <laughs> she said no. So okay. I'm, for my whole five years, four and a half, five years, my only dream has to been to be a professional footballer. And of course, you're not going to be a professional at 15, but you're way in the door. Your first step and you've made a massive leap to be with a club like that. And I remember him calling and she said, no, my son's not going to be playing football. He's going to be focusing on his education. The phone went down and my heart stopped. If I could have jumped off a cliff at that time, I would have. No word of a lie. That, because nothing else mattered to me. I wasn't interested in anything else. I didn't care about anything else except that. Can I, I'm um, jumping in. I, I remember the first time Corey and I discussed this story and he told me about it. And I, you could have heard a pin drop in the room, the two of us. And I was asking him questions about that particular moment because this, these are defining moments, significant emotional events that define who we become in the future. And I think for any listeners, you've got to put this in context because today everybody fully appreciates the opportunity like that and the potential financial rewards for it. But we're talking about, what, 30 years ago, Corey, something like that? Yeah, um, so, we're talking well, about what 90s, something like that. 32, 32 years ago. Right. So, you know, back in those days, I think even for parents, there just wasn't necessarily that appreciation of what this really meant. And your mum had this dream; she's worked hard to get you to this point. So it must have been even for her, this wrestling match in her brain as well. Yeah, she her <laughs> when she said no, I. Right then, I said, my, and I remember I was screaming, no, you can't do that. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to run away from home, blah, blah, blah. And her words were this. She says, I know what I'm doing. No one ever made money from football. And you, you might laugh now. Like, no one ever made money from football. But that's what she said to me. No one ever made money from football. What if you injure yourself? No, you're going to do your schooling. And I remember it was like, but you know, the strange thing was that I thought my life was over. And at the same time, I didn't. And it's strange because the next day, and true story, true story, the next day, the manager called me and he called my mum. Bill Hollinshaw, who was the manager of London, and he contacted me. And then the manager of Arsenal youth team called my mum again. And they were trying to talk her through. And then they sat her down like on the phone and I was there. And they were just explaining, look, I understand your fears and all that stuff. But for me at that moment, it was like, oh, wow, this is going to happen. Because no one calls you twice. Mm. Because I'm nothing special. Yes, at that moment, they might think, wow, we've got a future with this kid. But there's 10,000 other kids who could easily take my place. And their parents would most probably immediately say yes. But to be getting a second call was like, oh, wow, okay. So now I started feeling positive. And you know what my mom said then? She still said no. So <laughs> you're, taking, you're taking me on a journey here, Corey. Yeah. She's, she's, and that was it. It was done. I never want to hear about this again. She said, it's no. You are not going to play football. And that was it. That was done. 
at that moment, I can't even express how I felt. Even kind of living it now, it's it's okay. I can laugh at it because of the things I've achieved now and since and blah, blah, blah. At that moment, I hated my mum with a passion. And I know it sounds really harsh saying that. And you only have one mum. And if anything ever happened to her, what would I have ever done? At that moment, every negative feeling and emotion and anger and frustration and fear of my future and life completely was projected towards her. And I remember it was a morning, one of the mornings when I would have normally gone and played football just before school. And I remember walking and I left nothing. I left no no. I didn't bring my football. I didn't have my gear. And my intention was really simple. I had no intention of ever coming back home. Not to run away, but I didn't want to be in this world anymore. It was done for me. I was sick of everything. And I know in hindsight, looking at it now, what a selfish decision to make. Completely selfish, not just for me, but for those people who love me. And especially for my mum, who was doing it out of love. But I didn't see that as a 15-year-old kid. My life was football and you just took my life away from me. And I remember walking, there's a bridge in um, Archway. It has the local name of being called Suicide Bridge. In those days, it wasn't, there wasn't a high fence. It was just a bridge made from like a, a concrete beam and it was easy to get on top. And the reason it had that name, true story, was because so many people had committed suicide from that bridge. And you can go in history books and you can see it. And that's where I went. And it wasn't a cry for help. It wasn't a cry because I wanted someone to stop me. It wasn't an action for me to get my mum to feel bad. Nothing of the sort. I had had enough. And I no longer wanted to be here. What's the point of being on this planet if you can't even do the things you really want to do? And I remember walking to the bridge and I was calm. I wasn't crying. There was no frustration in me. There was no... I didn't really even think I was angry anymore. I just didn't want to be here. And I remember climbing up and I waited and it was early in the morning. It was like quarter to six, 10 to six. No people were on the bridge. And I got up and I stood up on the edge of the bridge and I held onto one of the like long poles and pillars. And I just waited. I wasn't waiting because I was second guessing, no. Uh, the honest truth, I was waiting because I wanted a lorry to come. Because I thought, if I dropped, and I know Rowan, I've said it before, if I jump now and I hit the floor, I might not die. I might survive. And that would be the worst thing to jump off a bridge and survive. Because now I'd have broken legs, maybe paralyzed. Now my life's even worse than it was before. So I was waiting for a lorry because I thought if I jump at the right time and the lorry hits me or runs over me, at least then I know I'm going to be finished. So I was just waiting and no lorry came. And it's really bizarre thinking about it now because it's impossible for a lorry not to come. Yeah. And it felt like I was there for a minute, two minutes. Where the heck is the lorry or a bus or a coach? Just give me something big. Nothing came. And it's really strange thinking about it now. And I think, wow, did divine intervention, was it my time, was it not my time? Obviously it wasn't my time because otherwise a lorry would have come and I wouldn't be telling you the story now. And I remember there and I was just waiting, I was waiting, I was waiting, come on, come on, come on, because I'm getting frustrated, just hurry up so I can end this nonsense. And then I remember feeling like someone had touched my leg 
and I looked down and there was someone there someone some I don't know I can't even really explain that because that part's a bit foggy and then I remember this it's really strange and I know it sounds so like oh, this story is crazy this feeling of what the heck are you doing on a bridge what are you doing do you honestly think you have the worst life in this world? Don't be so naive. There are people who don't have parents. There are people whose parents were killed in front of them. You still have at least your mum. There are people who are disabled, have one leg, one arm, are blind, and they still don't feel sorry for themselves like you. Get your ass off the bridge. And it was all of these feelings were at the same moment. It's really hard to explain and put into words. It was just a feeling. And I remember holding on still, looked away, looked down at the road, and then I looked back, and there was nobody there. Now, that's impossible. Physically, that's impossible, because I'm in the middle of the bridge. And if you run, I have to hear you, that's first, if it's a person. If you walked even fast, or let's say you ran and I didn't hear you, you still wouldn't have been able to run out of sight that quickly impossible and there's nowhere else to go it's a bridge there's no trees there's no entrances there was nobody there was absolutely nobody now i could say okay that's ridiculous i made it up in my head but i know what i felt and i know what happened but there was nobody there kind of long story short i got down off the bridge went home no one ever really knew about it the only time i ever shared that story was at an event with Rowan, never ever shared that before. No one ever knew, my mum never knew. And from that moment on, I made a decision. And it was a decision in, if I really want something in this world, I have to stop blaming the world for what I don't have. The world owes me nothing. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop, at that moment in my life, just before I went on the bridge, I hated everybody. I hated the whole entire world. I hated white people, I hated black people, I hated Asian people for no reason they didn't do anything to me. I just hated everybody. Hated the government, I hated how the world was, I hated when it was sunny, I hated when it was raining. I hated everything because I wanted to vent that anger and had no idea how to do that. But from that moment it was, I just applied and you know the thing that I really changed? It was my attitude and my belief changed. And we, we can talk about that a little bit later on. And it wasn't all this how everybody knows now, positive mindset and you have to think positive so negativity doesn't plant its seed. And die. I knew nothing about that stuff. I just knew what happened then, how I felt. And I thought, stop feeling sorry for yourself, Corey. The world owes you nothing. If you achieve nothing, that's your fault. Don't blame someone else. Don't blame your mum either. Yes, she made the decision that you couldn't go. But who knows what could have happened if I went. Maybe the first training session with Arsenal, I break my leg and I don't play anyway. So I started to look at things in life that way. And from that moment, everything changed for me. Everything. Just the shift in my attitude and behaviours. And the shift in attitude and behaviour then helped me to determine the actions I was going to do. So, yeah, that's and, kind and so of... from that point there, I mean, that's... That we could spend the whole of the podcast talking just about that incident and the shifts that happened then. You then went on and you actually ended up as a professional footballer, correct? Yes, yes. So I then had my opportunity. I was going for trials with clubs. No one was interested. 
And to be fair, in those days, it was my fault because I knew how good I was. And I was an arrogant kid. I knew how good I was because I thought to myself, boy, if Arsenal came for me at 15 and I only started playing football four and a half, five years ago, I already know I'm better than all you fools. And that arrogance wasn't good because that arrogance stopped me from achieving it quicker. So I didn't turn pro until I was 24, 25, which right. is super late. Yeah, That's unheard really. of now in today's footballing world. If you don't make it by the time you're 16, 17, the unlikelihood is you're never going to make it. Yes, there are the occasional one-off stories of people who've made it, like Vardy and Ferdinand and those people, but that's very, very rare. So finally did it at 24, and it was amazing, and it was what I expected, and at the same time, it wasn't. And then towards the end of the career, I was playing the best football I've ever played. Because I think you ended up you ended up in Norway, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I was playing in Norway and I had some of the most amazing experiences, some of the worst and some of the most amazing. But then towards the last season before I retired, and I was 29 then, 29 going on 30, playing the best football of my life. And then two premiership clubs came in, wasn't even really premiership then, but two clubs came in and it was like, oh, wow. But... I didn't want to play anymore. The feeling of what I was doing, the joy and the excitement had left me. And I started to question, there has to be more to life than this. And I know it sounds really strange. I suppose if I was earning Ronaldo's money and Messi's money, then I might have just sucked It would have been a different it. story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also, I mean, without going, because I mean, this almost constitutes another another whole uh, interview, but I, just to try and summarise, I asked Corey, I've spent hours ta talking to him about this on one day, and you said to me, essentially, they controlled everything you did, everything yeah. you ate, everything you said, and people were literally hanging around you because you were the star, you were going out, spending huge amounts of money on an evening for everybody else. I remember the way you described the lifestyle. It was like it wasn't who you were as a person. It was what had been created around you. Is that right? Agreed. It's, it's, and don't get me wrong. Yes, successful. Yes, professional footballer. And there's a certain amount of money you earn and stuff. But it's not like what Ronaldo and all those will experience. But I would go out on weekends and I'd be spending like equivalent of £2,000 on a night on drinks and nonsense. And I don't even drink. So it wasn't <laughs> even for me. But you don't yeah. think about that at the time. At that time, so many friends, every, the whole club's your best friend, and they talk to you and call you. And then when I retired, how many of those people are still around? Maybe two, maybe three, out of the so-called hundred and something friends. But you don't see it when you're in that environment and that world because you live in this bubble which is contrived and nonsense and it makes you the most naive and sometimes the most stupid person because you're not taught how to manage your money. You're not taught, okay, be aware of this. Now it might be a lot better where you have personal assistance and people managing you and looking after you. I didn't. I looked after myself, fended for myself, looked after my own money. So that experience really afterwards taught me, oh, wow, this world. You might have it today and it's gone tomorrow if you're not smart and you can't start thinking of yourself as better than someone else. And I remember there was a quote that really stuck with me and it's resonated with me ever since. And it was a quote by um, Quincy Jones. You know, Quincy Jones, the um, music guy. And the record I remember, producer, yeah. Yeah, the record producer. And I remember him saying, 
once or reading about, he said, the only time you should be looking down at somebody is when you want to help them up. And I thought, wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. I thought, wow. And that hit me because there was a part of me that was beginning to turn into an arrogant ass. Because, yeah, look at me, I have all the money. Yeah, look at all the women around me. Look at the cars. Look at... And it's nonsense. Because you start, you start planting seeds which you really don't want to grow. And then when they do grow, oh, life becomes so much harder. So, yeah, I went through that phase and then kind of got that out of my system. And then when I stopped, I lost all my money. Because you're naive, you're not taught how to do it. And I lost everything within a year and a half. And it was maybe one of the most toughest periods of my life. And then you just start to have to reassess yourself. You start to have to think about, okay, what do I really want in life? And you have to restart. And sometimes people say, okay, but you're not really restarting from the beginning because you have all that life experience. But sometimes it doesn't really work like that. Sometimes it's best to remove all of that past experience and just start fresh. Because otherwise, sometimes there's a tendency to think that your past dictates your future. And that's absolute nonsense. Your past only dictated to where you are right now. From that point, you have to decide. But that's when now we start talking about like the mindset. And I know you're going to ask me questions and stuff about that shortly. But everything changed for me. And I know there's so much I'm missing out. I know because my mind's going everywhere even while I'm talking. But I'm trying to stay on topic a little bit just to say, okay, this is what happened. This is where I am. And I achieved my lifelong dream of wanting to be a footballer. And then when I got there, it wasn't what I thought it actually was. Because I never had my passport for nine months the club held my passport for away games they would just show it we'd all walk through we'd get on the plane and we'd get off i never even had my own passport when my grandparents died well my granddad died first uh from alzheimer's and then when i wanted to go back home i had to go to the club and ask them for my passport in order to go back home to london just to see them because the funeral was taking place. And then when I came back, because there was a game two days later, I had to give my passport back. Mm, and I yeah. thought, I can't live like this. I'm a grown man being told I have to be in bed by 10 o'clock. Lights out, everybody's in, you're sharing a room for protection and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought, this is not what I expected football to be. The love stopped and it was more of a game. Now, look, I'm not moaning and saying, oh, life wasn't good because life was amazing in the sense of you can make decisions but i'll say this quickly and i'll kind of leave it at that people think that um when you have loads of money or you're in a particular position or you're achieving certain things that you have so many choices and i truly do believe this and it was listening to someone i think the guy's name trevor moad or something and he was talking about choices are an illusion and i remember hearing and i thought huh well, I've been taught over the years so many times by you, Dr. Rowe, and other people and the mentors that when you don't understand something, don't throw it out. Don't neglect it just because your mind is not at the level to understand it. Accept it as the truth, embrace it, and then ask questions why it's the truth. And then after that, you decide. And I remember him saying, choices are an illusion. And I thought, huh, of course they're not. And he says, yeah, in order to be successful, there is a finite amount of choices you can make. 
i.e., for instance, when I'm playing football, I can't be out at 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock when friends are still out. It's not a choice I actually have. Mm. I can choose to go to bed before 10, but I can't choose to go after finite choice. Mm. When I'm eating and I have a game that afternoon, I can't eat whatever I want. So the choice isn't that vast because I have to eat what's appropriate to fuel me in the correct way so I can perform most efficiently for that game. The choices are limited. So when you start thinking about it, there are specific finite choices. Yes, there is choices within those, but there's a finite number of choices if you want to achieve certain things in life. There are things you're going to have to sacrifice and say, okay, I will sacrifice this now in order to achieve that. And then once I achieve it, if I choose, then I can have it. But I believe, and again, it's just from what I've seen and from my own experience that People are not prepared to make the sacrifice. They want everything and they want it now, but they're not prepared to make the sacrifice. Even sometimes when I'm working with people and clients and kind of see them as my family, you give them something that you know they need to do. And more importantly, they know they need to do it. It's not even rocket science. You know you need to do it. These are the things that are happening. Okay, in order to stop that happening, let's go to the root and deal with the root. Don't deal with the symptom. It's kind of late then. Let's go back to the root. These are the things you need to do. Bang, bang. This is what it will achieve. Bang, bang. And they're like, brilliant. But they don't want to do it. Or they want to do it and they do it for a week. Oh, it hasn't worked. Come on. Everybody wants things to change now. Everybody wants everything now. Everybody wants success now. But they're not prepared to put the time in or the effort or the sacrifice. That's and I learned that. Fascinating. I mean, that Fascinating. Was, that's a great lead in, actually, because one mm. of the things that you've gone on from what you've done in the past is to now take a lot of this experience and take it to people on a one to one basis. And the, the transformation I saw in you was the huge, like a sponge in the personal development world. You came to my events, you went to other people's, you grew, you learned. And along that way, your natural ability to coach people just came out. Um, and you, you're if, a point. If it wasn't for you, Ro, sorry to cut you, I wouldn't be here. And again, that's a, I think that's another conversation or podcast or interview for another time. But if it wasn't for you and you know, and maybe the audience don't know, I wouldn't be here. And I think everybody needs that person or that light at the end of a tunnel or that beacon or that lighthouse to show them the way. But you have to be open to be shown. Most people are not open because it challenges their present belief structure. And if you keep that, and you're not open to expanding, you're never going to achieve anything from my experience. Yeah, so and I, rem it, I remember you emailed me and uh, and Corey was like a sponge. It was just, I could tell, in the same way you applied to your football, to your martial arts, it was like, okay, this is a, I just need to grow as a human being. And you literally sponged everything that was thrown at you. Do you remember? Yeah, it was remember. crazy. <laughs> and and the, the emotional evolution that went, Corey went through was astounding to the point where, you know, I could be in a room with him at an event and, and I would just pass people over to him because he was just literally doing interventions with people alive at the point. In fact, Carminda was at our last turning point in 2017. So he I would remember. have he would have seen you as somebody who's in the audience at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's fascinating. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm wondering if we can we can take a part of that story and then start to decode it with Corey's um, skills and processes that he would take somebody through. Yeah. Name, namely focusing on okay so when the football career ends and this this can be again parallel to anybody's career anybody's life when something ends 
you said something fascinating, which is, you know, your your past doesn't define what you're going to do next. It defines everything that happened leading up to that point. The next part is now up to you. Now, you mentioned phrases such as behavioral change, attitudes. I wonder if you can now talk into that space, Corian. Talk about how does somebody actually go and change their mindset? How do they actually go and uh, take action and then actually consistently take action and how maybe you've helped clients do that or coaching clients do that and how you maybe did that yourself. What, what is the, what's the answer there? What's the process? And just on the back of, of that, what Carmen is asking you is maybe you could tackle the concept of affirmations because some people talk about affirmations, uh, you know, the whole concept of visualization and yeah. people back in the day when uh, the, the Stranger's Secret came out, you saw people sat on beanbags saying, I've got affirmations, I've got affirmations. If I just yeah. picture it, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> you you don't believe that. So maybe you could integrate that into that first question from Harminder there. Okay. Oh, wow. This could be a whole day in itself. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, let me try and sit. And again, when I'm saying this, everyone who's listening, I don't want you to ever think of me as, oh my gosh, let's listen to him. This is the gospel truth. No, this is the truth for me. This is what worked for me. This is what's worked with many people I've worked and helped. But everybody's different. So I believe this, like negative thoughts and feelings, they're internal processes or forces. Yeah, it's an internal thing, the negativity and feelings that we reluctantly, for the most part, we give a platform to it. So you choose whether you embrace it or you don't. But sometimes it's not always that easy. Um, we all experience negativity at times. It's normal because negativity is accepted as an internal force. People say that the way to combat it is to do positive affirmations. Um, sit like Ro was saying on a beanbag. Be calm, center yourself, uh, positive visualization, imagery, etc. Yes, these things, they do work if done consistently and correctly for that person. They're really powerful and they really do work. But from my experience, the majority find these things and these skills and it's like a discipline. They find it very difficult to do and maintain. Everybody can do it once. Everybody can start. But it's not so easy. And I know everyone says, yeah, think big and that. But when you really look at stats and statistics and anyone who's been in these events where there's loads and loads of people and you say, OK, if you've got all the stats of those who follow the person on stage saying, say this affirmation. Yes, they are powerful. Yes, they work. But how many of those people doing it did it actually change? That's a, another story. But that's why I believe sometimes it, it doesn't work. When I think back over my life, like thus far, what I realized was that it wasn't my positive thinking and positive mindset that changed me first. Oh no, it was, I was so deeply negative about almost everything in my life. It was my attitude and my behavior. My behavior, I mean my actions and the things I do, the way I carried myself. I was acting like a professional player even before I knew all the steps how to be a professional player. So my attitude and behaviors helped to change my negativity to positive. It wasn't the other way around. So I didn't start with oh, affirmations and all that stuff because I didn't know anything about that stuff. I knew nothing about positive mindset. I knew nothing about the law of attraction and all that stuff. What the heck is that? I know nothing about that. But what I did know was that at this moment in time, right now, I feel like crap. My life feels over. I have no idea how to do this. But I do know 
if I just move my body and at least do one thing that helps me to move in that direction, that hopefully the rest will follow. And for me it was, and look, I am not for one second saying that positive mindset and um, vibrations and energy, feeling positive, isn't the thing that shifts everything. Because I do believe that. I do believe everything is the mind. But I don't think the mind shifting is the easiest to do. I believe that sometimes the physical aspect is the easiest to do because everybody can move. Unless, obviously, you physically can't move. Everybody can move. Everybody, if, for instance, I want to be a footballer. I can go and I can get a ball and I can kick it out a wall. Yeah, like take, that, take your first wall, uh, t- go for your first run, do the first yes, push-up, do the first pull-up. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I could still be negative in my mind, but I can at least do the physical step first. And then what so happens just, is... I want to put a different words around this in case anybody, because there'll be different people with different levels of understanding here. What we're really talking about here, Corey, is breaking the inertia. So if you suddenly feel paralyzed or a situation has just stopped you in your tracks, it's physically breaking the inertia, physiology, yes. changing something yes. Yes. with a combination of movement, but also... I'm just going to do this to, 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 to start the movement again because you can't steer the vehicle unless it's moving. That's really what 100%. I'm saying. Oh, I love that, bro. I'm writing that down. I love that. And that's, <laughs> that's all it was. It was, I know my mindset has to change. I know I have to stop this negative rot and this blame in the world, but I don't know how to do that. I don't have the skill to start thinking positive. I knew nothing about affirmations. I didn't know how to meditate. I didn't know how to calm my mind. All I knew was I have this fuel inside of me, which I have to channel somehow. And for me, it was the physical. Let's say you want to start a business and you're thinking so negative about yourself, like, oh, I don't know if I'm good enough. Oh, I don't know if I have the skills. Oh, where am I going to find the money? Oh, what if it doesn't work? Oh, they say statistically one in 10 businesses make it in the first three or whatever the stats are. And you have all this negative stuff, but just say, you know what? What the heck with it? Let me do it anyway. What's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is nothing happens in your back where you started. So why not give it a try? So for me, it was exactly that. I have to get the vehicle moving. And then after that, now my mindset changes because I can see um, a physical change. And because I can see some success in the direction I'm going in, it gives me the confidence to think, oh, hold on a minute. Actually, that's working. So if that works, what else might work? Oh, there's the next step. Oh, I didn't know that, but I know it now. Oh, I see. Now I can do this. And that's how my mindset changed. So the negativity stopped. The self-nonsense within my head stopped and it quieted a little bit. And then I started planting the positive seed. So when I'm saying in terms of affirmations or not first. For some people, yes, they may be first. If your mind is strong enough and you can master that skill to think positive, think positive, and it, you truly believe that, then brilliant, start with that. But for most people, from my experience, and especially with me, that was not the case. It's, for instance, someone's overweight and they're looking in the mirror because some guru told them, just say you are sexy, you are beautiful, you are thin. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. say every morning, and you wonder why in five years nothing's changed. Well, you didn't believe it in the first place. So what's the point saying it? It's pointless. It's absolute pointless. It's even the other thing, and I'll kind of chuck this in quickly. 
And I've been to seminars where they said this, think big. And of course, there was the power of thinking big and all that. that I'm not knocking those because they work. But you can't think big if you don't believe it. There's no point. Right. Then you have to think on a smaller level, believe that, then grow that. Then believe that, then grow until you are thinking big. But no one tells anybody that. No one teaches anybody that because, I don't know, maybe it doesn't sell enough. Yeah, I think you're right there, Corey. It doesn't sound exciting. And selling the bigger pill or selling the magic pill is so much more saleable, marketable, and also sounds exciting. Oh, yeah, I'm going to think big and I'm going to 10x my results and all of that thing, those kind of phrases which fly around where we're saying start from, and what you're saying is start from this. Well, what's interesting is, the small item could be thinking big for that person in that current circumstance. Yes, mm. agree, 100%. Agree. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just jumping in on that as well, I think that for the listener, that there's a fundamental area here which is looking at your core beliefs and values, and that, that's a separate conversation for a different podcast. But if you can make a statement, but if you don't believe on that affirmation, like we used to, I mean, Corey was with me when we used to do ev- events where we actually had the whole audience speaking out affirmations. Do you remember this, yes, Corey? Yes. But the yes. point was that these were affirmations that we had been working on with them during the course of the event 100%. based on their beliefs. So, yeah. you know, some people there Different. now really believe that they could get physically fit. Others believe they could get into a great relationship. Others believe that they could off the back of that, the affirmation becomes something they can attach meaning to, but otherwise it's just a statement. And Bingo. often, and often they would have had in, in a seminar environment or a training environment, they would have practiced the action, which is, which is interesting. What Corey's saying is they would have physically done an exercise or an action. Right. And then the affirmation supports that, um, which is, which is in, in great alignment with what Corey's saying. So the next big question then is if somebody starts uh, the motion, uh, breaks the inertia, they're taking action, what it, in whatever field it is, let's say it's a, the first run or the first push up. Then the next big question is how do they stay consistent? How do you keep somebody on the path? Now they've now they've started. What happens next? Okay, really, really good question. So I kind of liken it to this. Like many people, I sometimes have momentary doubts, like about a new venture and whether I can do it or not. But I ask myself a few simple questions and then I just do it anyway. So I've been lulled into full senses of success and security in the past, like some of the stories that I was saying, like because of the money, the accolades, the stupid toys, the fake friends, etc. I've been there. But what helps me to stay consistent is my attitude and behavior. So this is what I mean. My attitude is that the world owes me nothing. That's the first thing I kind of say to myself, because I believe the world owes me. And if you believe the world owes you because you were born there or because you've paid the taxes or because you're white or because you're black or because whatever it is, then you're going to achieve nothing because when you find out the world isn't giving it to you because you think you have a God-given right, then it's going to depress you, annoy you and frustrate you and it's going to take you in the wrong direction. So for me, the first attitude is the world owes me nothing. So just stop blaming the world for things. And I don't like it and that's just how it goes. Whether you like it or not, that's the reality of it. So I have to find a way to attract what I want. I believe that there's always a way. I just have to be open to feeling it and listening to source. Um, and I don't want to go too much into like source, but it's that internal feeling, that gut, that vibe, that you have no idea what it even is, but there's a feeling 
it whoa, what is that just you have to trust the feeling and when i say trust the feeling i'm really saying you have to trust yourself more i believe that too many people listen to too many people and by <laughs> that i mean there's too much nonsense out there and you can find whatever you want to back up or to disrespect or to negate what you believe you will find it you could find articles to say eating chocolate every hour on the hour is good for you and i bet you'll find articles to say it's not good for you whatever you want to find if you look hard enough you'll find it but that's the problem people look too hard for excuses or reasons not to do something or they look for reasons why it doesn't work instead of saying this is what i want to do this is how i'm going to stay consistent so some so, of the things that just, I do just, just is I kind of block. Gone on. To add to that. So this is interesting because what Corey's talking about here as well is the fact that when you start on something, if there's a little bit of a doubt, remember a doubt is basically a belief. What you'll do is you'll go and search for something else to validate that belief. Yes. That belief and, and, and then make it a reality for you, which is you're spot on. And, that, and that we see that a lot in this world that we're in of personal development is people come to the table with an excuse, but really it's just a, a way of validating a belief that was holding them back to start with. Yes, so if 100%. They're, if they're allowing that tiny little belief to stop that inertia being broken. Easiest thing to do is just chuck more weight on that belief and then I'm not going to get anything done. That's what yeah. you're saying. 100%. Explained it absolutely perfectly. And I believe that, but you know what I think it is? is and I understand it because it then comes back to the six human needs again of security. The yeah. reason why I think so many people are sheep and that they follow so many idiots is because they want to feel some kind of connection. I'm not the only one. Oh my gosh, well, they're doing it, so it must be true. Well, this person has written it on the internet and posted it like that is hard to do. So it must be true. Nonsense. When sometimes I think they see stuff, read stuff, hear stuff, and there's, there's this feeling, like I talk about source, inside of them that is questioning it, but they ignore it and they turn to logic. I believe that sometimes logic is one of the most dangerous things to listen to because you have to trust yourself. Now, the question some people might say, well, how do I trust myself? But again, that's a separate conversation and we can talk about that a little bit more. If I go back to some of the things I personally do, I have quotes on my wall. Set, I'll read one of them now because I'm, I'm sitting in my office. <laughs> I've just looked at another one. Look, I'll read you one which is a little bit funny and then I'll kind of go into the one that actually I read every day. So when my missus was pregnant, her mood changed. I love her to bits. I hope she never hears this, but her mood changed. It was like, oh my gosh. And I was told by everybody, don't ever challenge her. Don't ever, if she wakes you up three o'clock in the morning to go and get something, you get up, you go to the shop and you get it. And if you come back and she says she doesn't want it, say nothing. And I learned that. And then I wrote one of the quotes, and this is about staying consistent. And this is staying consistent in something else, but during the time she was pregnant with my son, I had to be consistent and remember, hold on a minute, I'm not the one who's pregnant. I'm not the one going through this pain. I'm just the one maybe having a bit of the backlash of how she's feeling, but deal with it. Are you so, listening to this, Harminder? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, ta I'm taking right. notes. I, I, I'm, I'm so, ready with a pen for the quote. <laughs> so I'm just taking it off my wall now. And it's a thing at the top of it, and it's laminated. 
So it says joy and happiness, and then there's a heart. And then I've got two phrases, and I read this every day while she was pregnant. And the first one says, sweetie, I understand. Please continue. Now, that phrase was no matter what she says, whether I'm right or wrong, is irrelevant. You just say, sweetie, I understand. Please continue. Done. End of story. And you listen. And the other one was, you are right, sweetie. Please continue. That was it. <laughs> really strange no matter what happened and oh my gosh i won't say this there was so many times i thought my gosh i'm gonna lose my mind here but you don't you don't react you don't retaliate you just say you are right sweetie please continue hey so, cory that, that reminds that sounds like a quote that has come somewhere from one of our early relationship events that we used I to run do <laughs> <laughs> you remember the handbag emptying the handbag oh, it was brilliant. keep yeah. emptying the handbag honey you see, but all of this stuff, and it's funny we laugh at it because staying consistent is easy and not easy. Now, what I mean by that is this. You could have quotes all on your wall, but it makes no difference if you don't read what's on your wall. But so, also what it means to you, Cor, because what you've explained to us is it's your reminder that you aren't carrying a baby and you're yes. not in her shoes. And actually, she just needs you to be supportive in that moment and that's your reminder so it's a great anchor 100 percent, and that's all it is and that's the key word i would say to stay consistent you have to constantly remind yourself whether you remind yourself with videos that you have a uh, ritual i have a morning ritual which i'll share with everyone in a minute or you remind yourself with quotes which are on your wall so if you're in my office now there's quotes everywhere and on one of my walls at the far end of my office is covered with picture frames and it was my um, wife's idea and in every picture there is a moment which is captured with our family it is the most exhilarating energizing and most moving experience every time i sit here no matter what i'm going through no matter how my day's been no matter how stressed someone or something is trying to get me all i do is i take a moment i look at the pictures and every picture, the rule is every picture in the frame has to be of a moment that's captured. But in every picture, the people have to be smiling. Otherwise, it doesn't go on my wall. Mm. Every picture, whether it's my dogs, my cats, my sons, my missus, every picture. And I'm looking at it now and I can't help but smile. I'm thinking about a smiling cat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, you want to see? I've, I've got a picture here. It's funny because my son was tickling her belly. So that's another story. But... What it is, is it's a reminder of how I stay consistent. Everybody's busy at times. And I might be out the whole day and I travel a lot because I have to travel between home here in Prague and in London, backwards or forwards. And I might not see my boys or my missus for three weeks at a time, four weeks at a time sometimes. And then I come back and I am exhausted physically and mentally. And then the first thing my son wants to do is he wants to jump on me and play. I can't stop and say no i'm tired leave me alone let me sleep for a minute because that's selfish and i have to understand he hasn't seen me for three four weeks so i have no right to now say no go away let me sleep i'm tired i'm tired so what deal with it this is the moment you have to give your family and the pictures remind me of that so that's how i stay consistent with that um one of the other things i do is i have like a morning ritual so during this time, my morning ritual slightly changed and changed for the better because what I do, the first thing I do in the morning is I wake up and 
I sit in my office, light a candle, and I meditate for 15 minutes. Now, those 15 minutes is me to appreciate who I am and just absorb the energy from our home and from my family and the pictures and just set me up for the day to say, today is going to be an amazing day. And then I just start the day. And then what I do, I do three things. And again, this might be for another podcast because it's kind of a little bit long to explain, but I have to first cleanse myself. Then I ground myself and then I protect myself. And then visually I cleanse my family. I ground them and then I cleanse them like vibrationally. And there's a whole process that I do for that. But I do all of that within 50 minutes and I'm, I'm set for the day. And then what I then tend to do straight away is I go and I just drink a glass of water. And just for that moment, I just, it sounds really strange, but I just appreciate the water. And I'm just present with the water. And when I hold the water, because, and Ro, you know about it, and Armenda, you may do too. Vibration carries power. Energy carries power. That's not even science or pseudoscience or whatever you want to call it, or quantum physicists. That's fact. That's scientific fact that energy and vibrations carry power. It can be measured. So when I drink a glass of water, when I hold the glass, I imagine my vibration and energy of love, positivity, fulfillment, joy, happiness going into the water. And then I let it just sit there for a while and I imagine it being fueled with the joy and then I drink it. So I kind of double fuel myself with positivity, if that makes mm. sense. Good. And then immediately after I do that, or sometimes before, it just depends. My son wakes up, calls me daddy or mommy. I go in. And then we just sit and we just laugh and play for a little while. And I just let him jump on me, almost knock the wind out of me, jump on my face, whatever it is he's in the mood to do at that moment. But I just give him his moment because that's how he wakes up. He's always smiling. I don't think there's ever a time I can remember where he hasn't been smiling or wakes up crying. He doesn't really do that. He's just one of those kids. So my process to stay consistent with that is to give him that moment then. Depending on what the day is, if I have that day for myself and then my missus takes him for that day or takes him to work, then I now start my process and I just go through the list of these are the things I need to do. This is the hour I'm going to answer emails. After that, I'm not answering anymore. This is the time I'm going to do this work. And then this is the time I'm going to do that. And if I get a chance, I'll do exercise before I sit at my desk. Now, what I've been doing the last week, week and a half, is every hour from five o'clock in the morning until seven in the evening, I'll do 21 press-ups and 21 squats. Mm. That's it. On the hour, every hour. If I miss it, it's not a problem. If it's like quarter past eight, then that's okay. I'll just do it for that eight o'clock. But I have a set routine in my head to fuel my body because it's one thing staying consistently fueled in your mind. But it's another thing to stay consistently fueled with your body. And we know from facts, from all the scientific evidence, and I've done loads of research on this anyway, in that there's a chemical reaction that takes place, one with your mind, but also when you move your body. And there's loads of evidence, and you can read loads of papers on it in terms of state changing. And Ro, I know you're a master at this because you're one of the people who originally taught me all this anyway, is when you want to change your state, or you want to move from a negative 
vibrational energy or environment or mindset to a better one, physically get up, pull your shoulders back, lift your head up, breathe deeper into your diaphragm and physically move. Don't sit slouched in the same place. And it's proven. Yeah. So all I do to stay consistent is I remember these things. Now, it's not so, all- so Corey, so you are you uh, so on a physical level at the moment, particularly as we're recording this in lockdown, uh, yeah. you, what you're saying is for you, what works is you kind of have an hourly routine or is it after a certain time you have an hourly routine? Yeah, well, it depends because what I've learned is with family, I can't set aside. Yeah, yeah. Right. Tell me about it, man. Yeah, Tell it, me. It, it, <laughs> I wish I did, but it, it doesn't work like that. So the one thing I do say, and my missus, everyone understands, when I go into my office and close my door and I leave my slippers outside the door so everyone knows I'm inside, all I need is just 15 minutes. Even my youngest, he's two and three quarters now. When he sees the slippers, he'll knock, and then I don't answer, and he'll say, okay, daddy's meditating, and then he'll go. And then he'll come back. So all I need is first 15 minutes, and then the rest of the time, the physical movement that I get in when I can. So, and then I'll either do it with them or I'll do it on my own. It just depends where I am. This is great. I need to buy a pair of slippers. That, <laughs> yes. That's coming it up. Works. It took so, a while to train them, but it works. Um, so, I mean, I, I know Harms is probably itching to ask a question. I just want to just quickly sweep up behind. So what we're talking about here is a shift in physiology and attitude without necessarily... Um, focusing on just affirmations i just want to clarify something for you for the listeners what would be a couple of tips on how to determine what are the right attitudes and behaviors because you've talked about this already and i i know harms is going to jump in with probably a couple of other questions on top of this but either how you did it or what could be a couple of tips for people to identify and to zoom in quickly on what are the right attitudes and behaviors to take forward is there a way they can measure feel sense model what would you suggest Brilliant, brilliant question. I love that question. Now, this comes to trusting yourself again. Now, the first thing you're going to have to, this is how I determined it for me, to know what's the right attitude for me in order to do this and the movement. You have to first know what it is you want. What do you actually want? And it could be something as simplistic and as powerful as, I simply want to feel good every day. That's it. And what happens after that happens, but I just want to feel good. And your primary, I believe, I believe, your primary essence of why you're here should be to feel good. Nobody, I really don't believe anybody on this planet wakes up and says, I want to feel like shit today. Sorry, I should have said shit. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Edit it. No one wants to wake up and feel, I want to feel bad today. I want to feel like rubbish. No one does that. Or I want to buy that because it makes me feel like crap. I want to spend that because it makes me feel right. No one does that. That's not the nature of who we are. You wake up and the essence of who you are is to feel good. Everything you buy, everything you do, everything you say for yourself is usually 99.99999% of the time because you believe it will make you feel better or good. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother. It doesn't always work like that because sometimes we buy something because we believe it will make us feel good. And when you get it, you realize, "Mm, I don't really want it. And it stays in the box or in the plastic. So the first thing you have to decide is what is it you want? Whether it is goal orientated in terms of this is what I want to achieve for my business. This is what I want to achieve for my life. This is what I want to achieve for my career or my standing. Or this is how I want to be with my family or my sons or my daughters. Or I want to be a good wife, good husband, good partner, whatever it is. 
first decide what it is you want. And then you have to say, where I am right now, what I feel right now, what I'm doing in my life right now, does it help me to travel along the journey in the direction that I want to eventually be? If the answer is no, then you have to change. But the challenge with change is this, that it's not until the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same do people usually change. But for me, it shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't wait until there's pain in order to say, I need to change my attitude. You have to use whatever fuels you. So here's an example. So to fuel me, I make things up in my head. And it sounds really strange, but I do because it works. So when I'm about to fight in a competition, let's say it's a competition or business, it's the same for me, to be honest. I look at my opponent and I imagine he's about to attack my family. Now, some people are like, whoa, but that fuels me. You can imagine me thinking, you're about to attack my family. That's not going to happen in this lifetime. But it gives me the fuel and the energy in order to say, right, it's on. Yeah. But the thing with fuel is you have to regularly change it. Now, I'm giving you an example there, which the majority of people will say, whoa, that's negative. You can't think that. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to talk from my own experience, and it's not to go against anyone else's belief, but you have to be honest with yourself and say this. You have to use whatever fuel helps you to get past that stage, and then you can start thinking about how do I make this positive. So yeah, I'm going to just add to that, because I was, as you were saying it, I was actually thinking this is a great frame which you've done there. So what, what to try and put this in context, Corey, you used to do um, mixed martial arts, almost like the octagon UFC yeah. style fighting. Cage correct? fighting. Getting Cage fighting. So, so we, we haven't talked about this so much this time round. Uh, it may come out in a little bit. So uh, along with all the BJJ, Corey literally would put himself into these competitions because he wanted to challenge himself. And I asked him the question, how do you approach it? Because you're going out against guys that are twice your size. They look like, yeah. you know, trucks. And what you're saying to us is under whatever circumstances you're facing, you call on whatever the trigger is, the anchor is, the emotional stimulation is for you that gets you motivated without yeah. taking judgment for anyone else. In your case, that's your approach. That's what you're saying, isn't it? It, it, it? it comes down to you as an individual. Find your trigger. That's all it is. And brilliant, bro. And for some people, the trigger might be a piece of clothing. It might be something they've anchored to an object. Right. It might be something the way when they go down. So you see a lot of footballers and some people will refer to it as superstition. Some people will trigger. Some people, you call it whatever you like. But it's what do you do in order to fuel you for that moment in order to achieve what you want, which then motivates you for a short period of time or inspires you for a long period of time. But everybody has to find that. Now, it's different. See, I'm a believer in this. I 100% do not believe there is one better than the other. I believe what works for you, it might only work for you and 1,000 other people, it doesn't. That's okay. Who cares about the other 1,000? Does it work for you? Then do it. It's fascinating because at the moment, I'm watching a documentary on um, TV about uh, Michael Jordan. And I never knew, I knew some of the stuff about him, but he used to make up stuff in order to fuel him for games yeah that fantastic documentary yeah it's fascinating oh the it's stuff amazing was 
Wow. He would make stuff up in his head. So we'd play, and you both know, because if you've watched it, that he'd play against a, a team. And then one of the guys, maybe a rookie, maybe a senior, might get the better of him in terms of, well, getting the better of Jordan is instead of 55 points, he gets 35, whatever it is. And then that's it. And then he'll walk off. And then he'll say in his head, and one of the examples, he said in his head, the person who was marking him or defending him came up to him after the game and said, good game, Michael, in jest. And then I remember in the documentary, it fueled him. And then the next day they played him again. And that fuel of the guy saying to him, well, good game, Michael, knowing that it wasn't a particularly good game, fueled Michael. And he destroyed the guy and the team on his own. And then it was 10 years later, they asked him about the incident because they were playing the same team again. And Michael said, no, I made that all up. I just, I just imagined that in my head just to fuel me for the game. And I was like, wow. Some people might call it psychotic, but hey, it worked for him. So yeah, and, on, and, and I was going to say, so how, how does, because there's so many different message, messengers and, uh, you know, there's a fantastic documentary there. There's lots of voices, whether it's via marketing or whether it's genuine inspirational people. How, how does somebody from my generation now an, like anchor all of the things that you're talking about? And I think one of the challenges my generation faces they don't want to take the path and Michael Jordan's a unique case, but they don't want to put in the work that you've described within your journey and, you know, change behaviors, change attitudes, make a start, stay consistent. Everybody's looking for an easy route. So how does somebody shift that mindset that, you know, it's, yes, it may seem great to find an easy route, but maybe that's not the answer. So for me, it would be, you have to say to yourself, okay, what do I want? It really always, for me, comes down to what do I want. It's almost like, and everyone I'm sure has heard the analogy, getting into the car and just driving. But you have no idea where you're driving. Well, what's the point getting in a car? Unless you're just going for the ride because you just want to go for the ride. That's different. But there has to be a destination. But the destination isn't the ending. The destination is just for you to go through a process in order to experience what you need to experience. So first you have to decide, okay, what do I actually want? Now, if you're young, you might not know particularly what you want to do in terms of what vehicle you want to use. That's okay. But you have to have a sense of what you want to achieve in terms of what legacy do I want to leave? How do I want the world to see me? How do I want my family to see me? What are the things I want to do in order to make my life the way I want in order so I can live it the way I want to live it? What is that? For everyone, it's different. Vehicles are different. No one vehicle works for everybody. So you have to at least know that first. And then you have to say, okay, if you're not even, let's say, for instance, worst, worst case scenario, you don't even know that. At least you need to know what you don't want to feel then. What do you not want to experience? How do you not want to be? Okay, then just do the opposite of that. If that's your starting point, that's okay. Because you might not know particularly where you want to be or what you want to do, but you have to know at least what you don't want and then go from there. And then for me, you have to say, is everything I'm doing now allowing me to get to the place I want to get to? And if you don't even know where you want to get to, at least say, is what I'm doing now 
how does it make me feel? Just go from the most basic, most simplistic way of how do I want to feel? Okay, does doing this make me feel good? Okay, then do more of it. Does doing this make me feel bad? Yes, okay, then don't do it. And Man. sometimes it's not... Can Go I add on. on to what Corey of said course you can. For, the, for the younger listeners? Because this is a question that harms us targeted towards millennials as well. Corey's raised a really good point here. If you're one of these people that's on social media chasing, you know, these so-called gurus or all these, there's a lot more at the moment happening because of COVID, people going on and doing lots of video messages and do this, do that, do that. I think a great way to... Um, add to what Corey's saying is when he talks about how does it make you feel if you find yourself doing it because oh shit I have to do this because I don't want to miss out or uh, I've got to do this because this is what everybody else is doing if it's being driven by that my feeling is that that is the wrong approach because you're really talking about a core feeling here aren't you Corey you're talking yes, about yes. does this feel real to me natural and is it aligned with my my core path and who I am as opposed to am I doing this to try and keep up with everybody else and not be left behind which I think Harminda is happening a lot in the younger generation correct me if I'm wrong because we're a little bit older but that's the sense yeah. I get yes and and it's like okay because that person's doing it because that person's living that kind of life and then there's an instant feeling of wanting that immediately whereas what Corey's saying which I love is look once you've determined what you want then you've got to put the work in you've got to be the 10 year old who wakes up at 5 a.m uh, by himself kicking the ball against the brick wall that's what comes but that came from an inner desire versus I saw somebody else do this and and I don't want to be left behind or this seems cool it, right you know it's that's not the approach the approach we should be taking is asking harder questions about ourselves, which Corey's just listed out for the listeners here and meaningful questions as well meaningful uh, questions that will give it give us an insight and then once you've gone through that process yourself you don't have to look at somebody on social media and say that's what i want to do yes that can be inspiring but the questions must be answered uh, primarily to then give us that feeling of wanting to go forward and, and i think Corey, you describe it amazingly by just saying does it feel good and i think that's yeah. a great starting metric yeah let, let me add this to that as well let's go even more basic and say this let's say the person doesn't even know how they want to feel. Let's say they have no idea of what they want to achieve, no idea of what they want to do. And all they have is the internet and they see this person doing that, this doing that, this doing that. I believe this. If that's where you are and you want some kind of guidance, then go ahead and try one. If you see someone, it's not the right way to go about it because you shouldn't be seeing someone say, I want that. But that's okay if it's a feeling that fuels you. And it's, yeah, I want to do that. Oh, that feels good. Not, oh, I want to do that because they're doing it and I've got nothing better to do. But right. if that's where you are and you just need something to start your journey so you then know one of two things. Yes, I definitely want to do this because this right. actually does feel good. Or no, I don't. At least you've started. So in other words, let's go back to what you said. Break the inertia. Do something. Yes. Just do yeah. something. Anything yeah. is better than doing nothing. And and I think that last example, Corey, is probably closer to where my generation is. It is right. that feeling of, I don't know what to do. I don't know who to look to. I don't know what to try. If I try it, will I fail? All these kind of things float about. And I think I love that. It is, it is a case of, look, if that feels right or resonates with me, let me try it. And then, then don't try it begrudgingly for the next year. Um, but then change if, if it doesn't suit you and then try something else. And I think that's fantastic. Agreed. And then I would add to that as well. 
is, and this is so, so, so important, and this is really maybe challenging for the millennials and even my son's coming up now is because most people are used to having everything now. And if you think like that, you're going to have nothing now. You have to not be so hard on yourself if something doesn't happen immediately and you see someone else doing it and you think in your head, well, well, look how easy they got it. You don't know that though. You only see the iceberg on top of the water. You don't see what's underneath. You don't see the work they've put in. You don't see the sacrifice they've done. And they might not even tell you. You only see the rewards and the accolades. So if you're going to do something, I'm going to say truthfully, you have to commit completely. Otherwise, you're not really going to know if it's for you or not. If you only half commit and, oh, I've got a plan B and I've got a plan C, well, let me try it for a couple of days. If it's not, then why bother? You're never really going to know. So if you're going to do something, commit and then give it a little bit of time and then decide, yes, this is for me. No, it's not for me. And the other thing I would say as well is, and this is a personal belief from my experience and those I've seen and witnessed, change doesn't happen overnight. And if you want it to happen overnight and you force yourself and expect it to happen overnight, you're going to be frustrated, annoyed and angry. And that's when you quit too quickly. But if you expect it to take a little bit of time, then when it does actually happen, you'll feel better because you take the pressure off you. I think too many times people put too much pressure on things. Don't get me wrong. Life is serious, but life's supposed to be fun. If you're not enjoying it, what's the point doing it if it's not fun? I don't see the point. What's the point? Oh, I'm doing this to pay the bills and have a house on a dog and maybe a little bit of grass in front of my house. Well, if that's all you want, geez, kill me now. You have to want more from life than that. But if you want more from life, you have to be prepared to give more. Yes, there may be the odd one or two who stumbles across an idea and they get rich, or you win the lottery or whatever it is. But the percentage of that is very, very small. So it's okay to start from wherever you are if you're not sure. But I would say this, don't look at someone who's achieved something of success and say, yes, I'm going to do that. If they can do it, I can do it. Yes, that's good. But the reason they achieved it is because they committed 100% to doing it. So just decide what it is you want. If you're not sure, try a few things and then go with it. And then yeah, the I, other thing, sorry, Rob, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, just quickly, because I know Harm's got a couple of things he wants to jump in before the end of the podcast on, but the Michael Jordan story that you brought up, and I've been watching that as well, it, as much as he had raw talent, my goodness me, the discipline, the hours, oh, the focus, crazy. the attitude, everything we talked about, breaking the inertia, that's wrapped up into that story, isn't it? Yeah, and psychotically, they said, he was psychotic. The <laughs> talent he had, he was obsessed. And there, yeah. were, there was even a bit where he's shooting for that movie Space Jam that he was doing. Wake up or shooting, not even wake up, shooting starts at seven o'clock in the morning. And then it would finish at whatever time, five, six in the evening. And he would get some of the other NBA stars because he had just come back from retirement then to come and train with him for three hours after that, sometimes playing until one o'clock in the morning. And then he'd wake up the same morning, five, six o'clock to go and shoot for the movie again. Incredible. All the way through the movie. That's And you're already Michael Jordan. You've got nothing to prove, but he still did it. Focus. Focus. So, it's it's an incredible story and a lot of the messages that you've described today and, and it's part of your journey um you know because people look at michael jordan and say okay that's the only way to do it well actually that 
that model or that journey can relate to so many of us in different ways of life, which leads me on to my next question, because assuming somebody now has changed, they've broken the inertia, they've started to take action, their behavior is changing off the back of that. They're now doing the work consistently. They're doing the kicking the ball at 5am against the brick wall. They're doing the Michael Jordan consistent work. And now it's time to, they, they've done that. And now they're in a position where it's time to live. It's time to perform. It's time to, to, you know, be their best self and, and turn up essentially. This ties into a question that we prepared, which is how, you know, to, now we're going back to the BJJ performing at European Championship, World Championship, you know, how did you perf- perform in front of tens of thousands of people when playing within football? But also, you know, when you enter the cage, which I've just discovered, you know, whether it's in BJJ, whether it's performing on a world stage in a world championship, what did you do to prepare for that moment now? What what do you do leading up to that? And why do you do these things? What what Why are those important to you? Because let's now help. I guess the reason I'm asking this question is, there's going to be people who've also um, and the listeners of the growth tribes podcast are achievers they are go-getters and they would have come on a journey where everything you said they're like yes that's played out in my life as well but now they could be a place they could be at a place in life where they it's time for them to perform uh, at their best so that's really what what i'm trying to get out of this question okay brilliant so i suppose for me it it boils down to primarily one thing or primarily two things number one i want to consistently do things that make me happy now it's really strange saying that is because and this may be a shock to most people but i hate fighting i hate fighting i hate going to competitions and fighting i hate going into a cage with one guy who's trying to kill me i hate it all of it i don't like fighting period so then the question is well why the heck do you do that yeah The reason is I want to grow. The only way for me to grow, I feel as a person, is I have to put myself into situations which enable me to grow, either at my own pace or they force me to. Either way, I have to grow. If I don't grow, I die. Literally, sometimes in a case, all right, it's not as bad as everyone thinks. If you prepare your body and your mindset, you'll be fine. Of course, there are people who have suffered horrendous Um, physical conditions yes but for me it's about growth so when I stopped playing football that feeling of growing of feeling happy of achievement stopped and it was a choice I made but I needed something else to give me that feeling football is a team sport so you have other people to rely on so the responsibility is big but not as big because there's 10 other players on the pitch with you When I went into martial arts and you in a competition, it's one-on-one. So my preparation is a real simple, it's a a simple process for me in the sense of this, look, and I'm going to be 100% truthful with all of you, as I have been throughout this entire podcast. All the stuff I've achieved in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, it takes, it took me, I think it was 11 years 12 years to achieve my black belt. On average, they say it takes 10 years to achieve your black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, consistently training. Some achieve it a lot sooner and some a lot later. But for me, it was always about the growth. So when I'm getting ready for a competition, every single fight, I am scared. Strange I'm saying that. 
considering former world number one, European champion, multiple British champion, blah, 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 blah. Every single fight I go into, whether it's a cage fight, the stick mm. fighting when I was doing it, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu competition at whatever stage, I'm scared. I'm always scared. And I'm not scared for my life. It's a strange feeling. I'm scared that I won't, um, what is it? I'm scared that I won't perform. I'm scared that I won't express myself at the level I'm supposed to express myself. But that fear immediately goes the moment my foot touches the mat because then my fuel kicks in and I'm like, I'm scared. I know you're scared. And if you're not, I'm going to make you scared. And you say whatever you have to say to yourself in order to fuel that fire. So instead of allowing that fear to paralyze me, which it, fear can paralyze you if you allow it to. But you have to remember what fear is. Fear is like a, a negative emotion. It's an internal force. It's an internal feeling which you create. Most of the time, fears are not even real. It's stuff you make up in your own head. You're sitting in your office and you want to make a phone call, but you're scared to pick up the phone because you're not sure if they're going to say yes or no. What the heck? So what? They say, no, no problem. Thank you for your time. Call the next one. But people don't think like that. So when I'm going into a competition, I think the worst that can happen is I die. Okay? If I die, it won't make no difference because I won't even know I'm dead. So what am I worried about it for? So I, I kind of have that logic about it. Same when I'm on a plane and it's turbulence is going mad. Like, oh my gosh, and people like, you can see them all tensing up, and I'm just relaxed reading my book. And I remember once someone asked, well, like, the turbulence is where I said, it doesn't matter. If we die, we're not going to know because we'll all be dead. So what are you worrying about it for? And I kind of have that mindset. So when I'm preparing for a competition, I look and I say this, I'm scared. And I know I'm scared. I can feel I'm scared. And it doesn't make any difference to me using all these acronyms, false evidence appearing real, and don't worry, Corey, it's only in your head. Yeah, you might say all that stuff, but it still feels real at that moment. So all I do is I just embrace it and I say, yeah, I'm scared. Okay, so what? What's the worst that can happen? Okay, well, let me just do it anyway. That's it. And then when you do it and you start the process, the momentum, the inertia begins, it completely disappears. The same, you're going to start a business or you're going to start a new career or start a new family and there's elements of fear. Yeah, but the moment it starts and it's actually happening, the fear goes. But most people don't allow themselves to get past the fear stage, which is why they don't do anything or achieve anything or um, fulfill their dreams because they're too scared of what might happen. Well, nothing's happened. So stop worrying about what might and just do what you can do right now. So preparation for me is really simple. I go on the mat, I think of a scenario in my head, he's trying to attack my family, or it's, oh, he's really nice. This guy's smiling at me all the time, but I really don't want his sweat in my mouth because that <laughs> would just be gross because I have to kiss my kids after. And I, it sounds really funny, but it doesn't matter what the scenario is for me. I just make it up in my head and then bam, I'm ready to go. Yeah, and and it's fuel for you. So what what one one of my takeaways from what you just said there is, you know, when you are in a position where it's time to perform, time to turn it on, time to actually do what you've been training for, the preparation for, whether you like it or not, because you say you know you 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 know you hate going to the ring or you hate yeah. the idea of the fighting, whether or not you love it or hate it, you still got to do it. 
And yes. I think that's that's important. That feeling before is almost like something that's just stopping you from that final act, which is performing, uh, performing whether it's on a world stage, at a championship, or if, if relating it to a, an everyday person, doing a presentation, maybe speaking on stage. Uh, like you said, as simple as making that phone call, it's it's all of that which relays. So whether whether or not you like it, everything you've done up to now has led to that point. So what's the point of backing out now? Hundred percent. And then and, ultimately, and, and acknowledging acknowledging what it is. Okay, so I'm feeling yeah. really, really mm. nervous. But yeah. you know what? Been here before. Let's just get on with it. Let's break the inertia. That's all it is. Because what I feel, and with all of that, I would just say is growth. You have to say, and I always say, if I back out of this. How will I feel afterwards? And secondly, I won't grow. No, if I do this, no matter what happens, whether I lose or win, is irrelevant. No matter what happens, I will have grown. No matter what happens on the phone call, whether they say yes or no, you will grow. No matter what happens with the business, whether it's successful or not at that moment, it doesn't matter, you will grow. And if you continually grow, it's impossible not to get better. But if you don't grow, how can you get better? So no matter how you look at it, and this is how I look at life in general, period, no matter what I'm scared of, no matter what it is I have to do, whether I think I can do it or not, I'm going to do it. Sometimes I might need a bit of a push internally or even a push from my partner or even just looking at my kids and saying, well, I have to set the example for them. I can't back out just because I'm scared because it gives them a license and a right to back out. Well, dad backed out because he's scared, so it's okay for me. I'm never going to allow that. So no matter what you do in life, you have to say, regardless of the outcome, you are going to grow and you will be better and you will learn something new about yourself and whatever it is you're doing, period. So why would you not do it? Just do it anyway. Yeah. And I think that's a great lesson for the younger people listening, the ones that are going into BJJ or, I mean, we're using an analogy here, but it could be any situation. It could even be going to have a conversation with a loved one, a partner, a relationship challenge. You know, you've got to have that conversation, yeah. face up to it and, and know that off the back of it will grow. You know, it, it doesn't kill you. It makes you stronger. It's a cliche. We've heard it many times, but it's actually yeah. the truth in so many things. I mean, I, you know, talk about change and growth and I don't want to go into it now because I know we've only got literally a handful of minutes left, but Corey, uh, you know, you went through a big shift in trying to grow to get to a higher level of performance and for many people listening you may not be aware that cory won all these championships off the back of a plant-based diet correct cory you oh, literally yes. you changed your diet to increase your personal performance your growth one of the things you looked at is okay i've got my mindset right i've got my physical physicality right what about the fuel i'm putting in my body and you actually oh. shifted your diet and came off me i seem to remember 100 percent, and it was that health event we did, which was your event, bro. <laughs> when we was on it, I, listen, everyone, and I'm not here to convince you to say, oh, be more whole food and plant-based, and that's not my job. You make up your own decision. It's your body, you choose. But for me, it was real simple, and it was a, a, an experiment in the beginning, and I'm being honest. I was a massive eat lover, but only chicken, and that was it. It was just chicken, and that's all I ate. I didn't have red meat, didn't have lamb, so I had this false conception within my head. Okay, well, I'm staying away from the so-called bad meat and I'm only having chicken, so I'm good. But when I went to the health event and it was just a number of questions. Now, it's easy and this ties into everything we've been talking about on this. 
interview. It's easy to stay within your own conception of what you think is true and mm. to stay within your own bubble. This true. is what I believe. This is what I've been taught. This is what I imagine it because other people validate it. I am not going to change my opinion. And if you think like that, you are never going to achieve what the level you're supposed to achieve. Period. End of story. But when I went into it, yes, I was kind of closed-minded. I can only get protein from me and I can only function. I'll never be able to perform at this level eating vegetables and carrots and being like a rabbit. That's just my <laughs> misconception. There's <laughs> still many so, people's misconception. Oh, yeah. massive. And it's ignorant because you've been taught like that my whole life. I've been taught like that. And when you go through and you think, well, look at all the things I've achieved. Well, it must be because of the me. It's so stupid to even think that, but you've got no other um, connection to make. So, oh, it has to be the me. That's why I'm so fast and strong and blah, blah, blah. So it was an experiment for me. So I thought, okay, everything else I've shifted in my body, my mindset, my inertia, my habits, my morning rituals. The only last thing for me now is the fuel I actually put into my body because the fuel I put into my mind was already taken care of. So it was Ro really who challenged me and said, okay, well, why don't you try it? At first I was like, really? Oh, come on, really? No, I don't think so. And then I started it. And literally for the first, and I was talking to Ro about this, when it happened, the first three months, <laughs> I hated it. <laughs> and I've used the word hate a lot. And to be honest, in my life, I don't really hate anything, but it's just that intense feeling of dislike because I was getting smashed in the gym. Mm. Absolutely annihilated. I was weak. I was slow. I felt my focus had just kind of wayward gone off. My instincts had slowed down. So I thought, and I was tired. Detox, detox, detox. Completely. <laughs> but I didn't realize that. I just blamed it because it was carrots and lettuce. I thought that <laughs> So you have, and it's, I need to go back to me. I need to go back. And it was Ro who stopped me. And at that moment, I was like, I'm done with this nonsense, vegetable rubbish. It doesn't work for me. I need my meat. I have to be stronger. And then he said, just try this. And the reason why is because I wasn't getting enough fat intake That's in right. when I was on the vegetables. I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about that. So I then just started having like a spoonful of coconut oil, using olive oil on like salads and stuff. And then I started with udo so just one uh, yep. teaspoon tablespoon in the morning and literally no word of a lie we've been about nine ten days i was a completely different person and people might say no nah, i can't be can't be i'm living proof everything i do i have to kind of quantify for myself in the sense of and qualify for myself in the sense of i don't care if one million people say something works. I have to test it for me to see if it works for me. If it doesn't work for me, I'm not interested in what those million people are saying. Good for you. You stay with it. I'm not interested. And I would say you have to kind of have that single mindset in life, period. Yes, be open to learning from those who know. But also be honest with yourself and test it for yourself. So when I did that, my performance increased. My speed was better. I came back stronger. My focus was better. And I didn't have this lethargic feeling of every time I would eat meat or a big meal, I need to go in a chair and relax and sleep for half an hour while my body was adjusting to the energy it was using to absorb the food. All of that stopped. And on the back of that, 
I tell you, like, real quickly to add this in, I was getting injured a lot. Well, okay, relatively a lot, I suppose. From BJJ, I never really got injured in football at all. Back injury, ankle, but that was it. No knee issues, nothing like that. When I started BJJ and doing tie and stuff, I was getting injured quite a bit. Sore, ankle twisted, arm wrenched, this happening, all the twisting, all the shrimping, all of that kind of stuff, the bridging, it was taking its toll on my body. When I switched to plant-based diet, I was recovering so much quicker. Mm-hmm. And I tested it and I wrote down so I knew it wasn't just a fat. And I so many athletes, Corey, now in the last decade, so many athletes say the same thing, recovery Loads. so much Loads. quicker. But you still get all that nonsense in me, oh, and you get doctors, which is beyond me. Actually coming and telling people, no, you need me for protein. Protein doesn't exist without plants. All protein mm. is from plants. All protein. Animals are the middle product. Animals only have protein in their meat because they eat the grass. <laughs> period. That's it. And the legumes and all the other stuff they eat. But they don't produce protein themselves. But people still think this nonsense because it's been bred into us. So for me, and it's really an interesting point to say, to function effectively, not just in martial arts, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, stick, Jeet Kune Do, in business, in life, with my family, to be a good husband, a good father, a good son to my mother. All of that helps me if I fuel my body with the right stuff because I think clearer. I'm more focused. I have more energy than I think I've ever had in my life. I'm an old man now. And I still am able to play a match with my middle son, like for an hour, non-stop. I wasn't able to do that before because I thought I'm too old now. So, yeah, changing to plant-based for me was absolutely huge. But I never believed it would have been until I actually did that. Mm. And and again, it it was... To me, it's a classic example of what you've described. It was all the different elements coming together to, to, to be the best you can be. And I'm just thinking now with about 10 minutes left to go, can you, with all of this information you shared with us, can you give our listeners, we always like to finish with some actions or some final words, what would be some either steps or suggestions that they can leave this with to, to give them a bit of guidance as they come off excited and motivated? What would be a few powerful steps they could do next? Okay. I'll end with a story then. So, look, I remember when I was young, there was um, this boy, and I heard the story a lot later on. There was a a kid, and he was really bad at school. I mean, he was just one of those obnoxious bullies, completely unruly. I don't particularly think the school even wanted him in a school. Constantly in trouble. And I, I don't know if it was stuff at home, or but there was something not right with this kid complete just oh I won't even use the words which most people would say and then I remember the school would constantly suspend him and then he was in threat of being expelled and he just was a bad kid in every way not just in the playground but in classroom he wasn't doing well in exams he wasn't doing particularly good and I remember how the story was told to me his father sat him down and this kid the only source of I think positive fuel that he had was when he was able to do sports so his dad sat him down and said if you don't change you're going to be playing no sports and whether that was the fuel for him to change or not I don't know but what happened was that end of that term there was exams like school exams 
so some in America it will be SACs, uh, in England it will be GCSEs, and he never did well in exams. He was just, whether you want to refer to it as just the kid who either didn't care or just was not very educationally intellectual, never ever did well. These E's failed almost every single exam. And then this exam at the end of this term, he did the exam and then all the results came out. And this kid got 84%. The highest I think he's ever done. And he's in the top, what was it, 7 8% of the school. And we're like, what the heck? And that moment, he completely changed. Whether it was the exam result itself, where he proved to himself and says, wow, actually, I can do this. Maybe I'm not as stupid as everyone's making out to be. And he completely changed his life around. And then years later, successful business, like got into a career, then set up his own business, super successful. Ten years later, after that exam, what happened was that the exam board did a review and they realized that that exam that was sat at the end of that term, I think it was either 12 or 13 students were actually sent the wrong results. He didn't get 84%. In fact, he only got 46%, which meant he would have failed. So the, the message behind the story is, why did he achieve something even though his score actually wasn't any better? And it, for me, was just real simple. And when someone was telling me the story, it was his attitude and his belief changed. Nothing else. His intellect didn't change because he got 46%. But he was told he got 84%. So he started to believe in himself. He had no belief before that. And then once he began to believe in himself, like, actually, maybe I can do this. Oh, wow. Then his attitude changed about life. Then he started treating people differently. He wasn't so angry with the world. He stopped blaming the world. And then he started to do something which helped him to achieve the things that he achieved. So the message I would leave with all of you is, it doesn't matter what the world tells you. It doesn't matter what your history is, your family's history, what people tell you you should be and what people tell you you should do. It's none of their business. You decide what you want your life to be and just do the first step. Do one thing, find someone who has done it before you and knows what they're talking about and is doing the things you want to do, or read up about them, whether they're alive or dead, you can still learn from them. And just do the first thing. How does it feel? Feels good? Brilliant. Then continue. Do the next thing. Oh, it doesn't feel so good? Okay, just kind of shift it a little bit. But once you believe, and once your attitude changes, and you just begin the momentum in that direction, there is nothing you cannot not achieve in this world. There is nothing you can't achieve. And I truly do believe that. And from evidence, that is the 100% truth. And that inspirational message there can be applied, if you're listening to this, to putting on the gloves for your first round against the bag. It could be getting a pen to paper and writing the first sentence in a book you've been thinking about writing. It could be getting out the microphone and recording the first few minutes of a product that you want to create. It could be writing the letter to somebody you care about. It's just taking the pen out. It's getting up. It's dusting yourself down. But it's do this is the big message that's coming really from Corey today is you've got to get up and do it. Don't aff affirm it. Just frigging make the first step. That's really the big message here, isn't it, Corey? 100%.
And that is really, it's, it's, life is simple if you want it to be simple. What do you want? Do you want to be happy? Then do the things that make you happy. You can't always have the luxury of picking it at the exact time. You may have to do a job that you don't particularly want to do because you have to pay the bills, but make sure what you're doing while you're paying the bills is leading you in the direction you want to go. Right. Otherwise, what's the point? So, look, I mean, we've talked nonstop for two hours and the information is just flowing. And I think anybody. So, Corey, what you may not be aware is that we the the podcast gets transcribed. There are there are notes from the podcast, which Harmonda kindly summarizes. So a lot of your points will be raised so people can follow them back up again afterwards. And no doubt they'll probably want to rewind them. Um, Anybody that's listening, that's got friends that might want to pass this on, feel free to do so, because I think there's a lot of value in it. Even if you just listen to the first hour 45 minutes of Corey's story there's so much in that story there's so many messages and teachings that come out of that um, I know you that you do coaching and uh, you know you're not here to promote yourself but I've been a big supporter of what you do the, the number of people that I know that you've helped transform their lives from direct face to face one of the challenges I know for a lot of people is how do I even start when somebody comes to you you, you like to cut through all the shit quickly don't you, you cut to, the, yeah. to how do you do that <laughs> just very quickly to wrap up how do you do that because a lot of people are thinking yeah but how's he gonna help me get to the hub of my problem what's yeah. the first thing that you do what's your, what's your so approach the first thing I really do is they have to fill in a questionnaire. Now, the questionnaire is for me to ascertain where are you in your life and are you at a place where you are ready to change? Because everybody says they want to change, but sometimes people are not prepared to do what it takes to change. So through the questionnaire, and I don't take on, before I used to take on a lot more people, and now because of time and family and I'm doing so many of my own things, I am I pre-select in the sense of I have to go through the questionnaire and I see where you are. And if I feel and get a sense of you really do want to change, then I'm more than willing to help. But if I feel you're not prepared to do whatever it takes for you to change, then I can't help you. Nobody can help you until you're ready to help. So for me, it's easy. They contact me through like my website, Corey at CoreyDonnelly.com. And then there's a section in there where you can just ask me a question just ask me a question no obligation no nothing and then if you're interested in anything just go through the website have a look and if you're not you can still ask me a question questions are free so i'm more than happy to share whatever you need help with but i believe this and the reason why i set it up is because i had help when i needed help in the most unlikely of places at a time when i didn't even know there was help and that was with you and I remember, you remember what you told me when I sent you that email on three conditions you said to me. And I don't know if you remember, you said, read these three books. Once you've read these three books, implement and do what I'm asking you to do. Don't question, just do what I ask you. And then the third one was, when you've achieved things for yourself where you know this is real and you know it works and you're successful, then I want you to give back and help others. You remember And that's what I've done. And that's what I've stuck with. And that's why I set this up. I'm not one of those who, oh, I want to be a, what do they call themselves? A personal development coach. Or I want to, no. When most of them, their lives suck. They don't even do what they preach. But yet still, they're so fast to try and help others. That's not me. I'm a person, I like to just live what I'm doing. 
And if I can help someone along the way from my experience and from things I know 100% work, then I'm all for that. So yeah, it's real simple. If you want to contact me, brilliant. If not, just listen to the podcast. Everything you really need is in here anyway. And that's basically it. I think you've, you know, you've honored that all the way through the journey um, by giving back I mean, a decade and a half, 15 years ago now, I think. Yeah, it is quite a long, wow. Yeah, it's a long journey, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. I know Harmind is going to jump on in just a moment just no, to wrap things honor, up. My honor. Uh, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on. I think what I'd really like to do, if you're up for it, because this, uh, you know, this project that you're doing with young girls in football and the, the FB, yeah. uh, FBM hub, FBM, yeah. It is such an amazing thing. I've, I've been following you over the last couple of months and I've seen some of the stuff you've been doing online with it. I, I think that warrants a subject which I think is massive at the moment, which is helping empower young girls as well. Would you be up for coming in and maybe talking on that subject? Yeah, 100%. I would love that. That would be an absolute honour for me. I think, Corey, if you're up for it, actually, what would be good, and Harminda may not be aware of this as well, I'm just, um, just going to jump in quickly to wrap things up on that one, but Corey um, has for many, many years worked um, at ground level with young people, so work with kids who have been caught into gangs, yeah. pulled into, into you know, uh, drug dealing and knife fights, etc. Some really difficult saddening, times, really saddening, really saddening but you, you, you've, you've played a big role in that as well as working with young women. I think that's a subject for a whole podcast. If you're up for it, we should do that separately. That'd be amazing. That would be amazing. And if that could help anyone else who might be in that situation but can't reach out because they don't know who to reach out to, yeah. oh, that would be an absolute honour for me. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you. Arms. Amazing. So that, that ties in nicely into the future episode, which is we, we finish this off, which Corey spoke about a message of giving back and everything you just summarized there, Rose, sounds like that is the next phase. So we can talk about that in the next podcast. I'm excited for that already. So everything, as you know, Growth Tribes listeners will be in the show notes at growthtribes.com, including how to find Corey his website and any additional links to there. So if you're interested in how do you reach out to Corey, that will all be in the show notes. Uh, summaries as always in the show notes, but again, thank you, Corey. Thank you, Ro. And Brilliant. thank you. Thank you listeners. We'll see you on the next episode. Brilliant. Thank you for having me. Hello, it's Dr. Rowe here. Harms and I would both like to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Growth Tribes. And if you've gained just one insight, something positive that you're able to use on a personal level, on a professional level, to help your life, maybe even other people's lives, then we'd love it if you could take action on one of the following things. You can either simply subscribe so you don't miss out on any other great insights coming up in the future, you can share this podcast with close friends so they can also get the benefits of the tips and tools that we're sharing. Or it would be amazing if you could give us a review and let others know just how great this episode was. And finally, if you do have a question, don't forget to submit it on growthtribes.com forward slash podcast. Thank you again for listening. This is Dr. Rowan Harm signing out and we'll see you again on the next podcast. <laughs>